Hello everyone, welcome to Locked On Suns, part of Locked On Podcast Network. Today, as always, I'm your host, Evan Sire, joined my co-host, Brendan Clean, both right for Bright Side of the Sun. You can follow me on Twitter, at Eastside, or you can follow Brendan on Twitter, at BrendanClean14. We're joining you next for a special draft episode we've been teasing for the last couple of days. And we're finally bringing it today with another, our second installment of our draft prospect debate series. Our first one was pretty well regarded with the Luka Doncic DeAndre Aiden debate, which was, I know a lot of people really enjoy listening to. We have our second installment today with Marvin Bagley III and Jaron Jackson Jr., two big men prospects who easily could be the Suns' third or fourth options if they do fall out of the, the top two, which could easily happen. Because as we know, the fourth the fourth overall selection it has the greatest odds, even though the Suns have the greatest odds of getting them one overall pick themselves at 25%. So they still have a 75% chance odds of getting two through four. So I'm going to kick this off real quick with two prospects we talked about with Triple J and MB3. And I'm going to start off with Jaron Jackson because I know on our boards, Baron, I think I have Triple J at four and Bagley at five. So they're very close for me. But for people who don't know your big board, how do you have these two guys rank right now? Yeah, so I have... Um... Let me double check what I sent you so I don't misspeak. <laughs> I have uh, Jaron Jackson four and Bagley six, so pretty similar to you. Um, I think these are both. I think it makes sense to compare them because uh, the Suns are. Uh, I think a lot of teams in the in the top of the lottery are going to be looking at big men. Um, you know, with the uncertainty with Marcus All, even the Hawks not really having any young big men outside of John Collins, like that's going to be the most in-demand position, especially considering how many of those guys there are. Um, and I think we already talked about Aiden, so Jackson and Bagley are kind of the next two that make logical sense there. There's a pretty big drop-off after that. But um, I know a lot of Suns fans, I think part of it too, there's a lot of Suns fans that really want Marvin Bagley. Um, and not that we're here to tell people, you know, who's going to be good or bad, because we, we really can't say for sure. But I think you and I are both pretty firmly with uh, Jackson at least a little bit ahead of Bagley at this point. Yeah, I think we were talking about off the air before, but Bagley's made a case over the last month or so as far as narrowing that gap between the two of them, but I'm checking the Locked on PHX Suns Twitter account if you wanted to go follow over there. It's at Locked on PHX Suns. And I posted a poll about four hours ago, and I'm really surprised with the results of this. It's 75-25 as far as Bagley and Triple J, but do you feel like obviously it might play a huge factor as far as just fans and their general interest in these prospects. But do you feel like that discrepancy in the poll results is pretty firmly on the case of hometown hero and Bagley? I, I, I saw that not all the, the finished all the way through, but I saw kind of midway through that it was trending that way. And that's not really surprising, right? I mean, outside of the Suns comments, just about every post doesn't even have to be about the draft ends up devolving into a debate about who should go uh, with the Suns first pick. And I think, Bagley's a name that somehow comes up most, maybe behind DeAndre Ayton. Um, I, I just think people, and, and it's it's funny because like we're gonna we kind of not laugh, but don't necessarily take it seriously when people use the incredible college season he had as like a really massive argument in his favor for a lot of different reasons. Mostly that he was fed the ball, he struggled mightily on defense, and that was a big reason that Duke ended up you know, not having as great a season as they could have based on their talent. And uh, I think the other thing too, and probably my biggest concern with him is just role. And, you know, like I said, he was fed the ball pretty consistently at Duke and had decent spacing around him. That, that's a pretty nice ecosystem to score a lot of points in, especially against college defenders. And uh, 
I imagine you'll you'll get a lot of isolation and post opportunities at the NBA level, but I don't really know where that fits in the context of a great team. Uh, the way that Bagley played this year doesn't strike me as the way he'll be playing if he's on a championship caliber team in four or five years. Now, since our conversations start sort of flowing this way, I'm going to start off with Bagley. But before I get into, I'm going to name off just some quick stats on both of them. I did per 36 numbers just because I know it's not really a, a correct gauge on some of these prospects with how they're valued. But just for a basis of these numbers, per 36, I have Jaron Jackson, 18 points, 9.6 rebounds, 1.8 assists, five blocks, the big thing to look at there at per 36, with his offensive rating and defensive rating equal out to a net rating of plus 34.2. And then Bagley per 36 is 22.4 points, 11.8 rebounds, 1.6 assists, and less than a block per game. And his net rating is plus 30.3. So compare those two guys, and the thing that stands out to me immediately is the, the defense, of course, because I know Bagley's very raw on that end. He's more of an offensive-based prospect, while Triple J is sort of a new breed as far as the, the spot-up shooting five who could be an elite defender and anchor a defense. So just what stands out as far as defense between these two guys? I know Bagley's more of an offensively gifted guy, but do you buy into the thought? Because I know some people, when they debate Triple J and Bagley, they say, hey, Bagley was really wasn't put in a good position to succeed at, on defense at Duke, but you can also counter that point and say, like, why'd they go to zone defense under Wendell Carter and Bagley? Yeah, exactly. I think that argument definitely flows both ways. And, I, I mean, honestly, the thing I come back to is, like, you can blame Bagley. I do think his, his struggles were part of the reason that I would imagine Coach K went to that zone. Um, you know, Grayson Allen was there for a while, and didn't always play zone so it can't really make sense that it would be him Gary Trent wasn't as good on defense as you would have expected maybe based on his kind of athletic profile um, but Trevon Duval's a solid defender and Wendell Carter is probably the one of the top big man defender prospects in the league in, in the draft this year so uh, just by way of sorting through the roster it kind of you you land on Bagley but I mean I think really, though, the, the problem with, with his defense, it doesn't really have to do with the zone because he struggled in that zone pretty badly a lot of the time. Um, I went back and watched they, uh, Duke played a game against Wake Forest, and I was really going back because it was a really solid Wendell Carter offensive game, and I was mostly watching it for that purpose. But um, obviously Bagley is heavily involved, so noticed some new things about him, and one one thing that was not new was him missing reads in the corner when he hedged on the pick and roll every single time that that play is run. And I have no idea how quickly that gets sorted out if by the end of the year it still wasn't working. I mean, you saw Malik Newman burn Duke in that Sweet 16 game. A lot of those were that exact situation where um, you know, Devontae Graham or whoever would, would run through a screen going toward the baseline and you know, Bagley's job is to kind of send him baseline and check the, the three-point shooter in the corner um, once once the ball handler kind of goes closer to the rim and he just steps way too far out on that ball handler and leaves that three-point shooter in the corner wide open pretty much every single time. Those kinds of things aren't the, the reason that you go to zone and they're also not a product of the zone. It's really a, an effort and uh, reading the floor problem and, and that's why I think it's uh, it's more worrisome than just as simple as like, oh, well, you know, it's the scheme. Now, with that, I, I heard you out there, and it's maybe you think back to a guy that's on the Suns roster. Obviously not like a fair comparison to Bagley, but 
as far as basketball IQ goes, especially on defense, that kind of sounds like Marquise Chris to me. So do you feel like that's kind of a bad idea on the surface to get another guy who might be a low defensive IQ guy into a system that really should prioritize defense after how it's been the last three or four years here? I think it's definitely not fixing the problem. Um, Chris is a little bit of a different player because I think he at least had made the types of athletic plays where you could dream up a solid uh, defensive player. And Bagley, I mean, I, I was having this conversation with somebody who was um, debating back and forth with me because the, the mock draft I did for Fansided this week, I kind of imagined a situation where Bamba, somebody just reached on Mo Bamba and took that untapped potential and just ended up having it be the, be Dallas, just kind of explore that potential. And that ended up meaning that Bagley felt eight. Just I was kind of just imagining maybe Bomba is that kind of guy. And people are starting to get a little insulted that I had Bagley so low. And a couple people, I mean, I, I did get people who were agreeing that his defense was a problem. But I think one thing, too, to, to think about what the defense is, he's really mobile. He's He moves his feet on offense and even sometimes on defense really quickly he's about as fluid a 6'10 6'11 guy as you'll see more so than Chris I would say and so you know there is watching him do that you can kind of imagine how that could be helpful maybe as a switcher in that type of role on defense Um, maybe mitigate his shorter wingspan and lack of like explosive jumping weak side rim protection types of uh, things that that most young bigs are, are capable of maybe he it just kind of moves away from that early in his career but you have to dream quite a bit to come up with a situation where Bagley's like an above average defender early in his career now if you're thinking of this from a Suns perspective and if the Suns are really buying in on a prospect like Bagley you have to look at his three-point percentage I feel like because his right now his free throw percentage shows a guy that's really not going to be a good shooter on the pro level at 62.7 percent but his three-point percentage was 39.7 all being 2.1 attempts per game so What's your thoughts on Bagley's shot? He didn't take much shots at all, only when he was like wide open at Duke, because I know Coach K's system really doesn't allow him to take wide open threes and really just explore like that. But do you feel like Bagley's shot has more potential than people realize or not? I think it, I think it does. I think people, I don't know, I, I think a lot of people that are excited about Bagley think that he'll be a shooter. Um, and I think he kind of has to be because uh, if, you know, if he's going to play the five, I don't know what position he'll play, but if you imagine a situation where he's playing the five, he's much more valuable as a shooter. That brings him closer to the positional advantages where he's closer to an above average value type of player. If he's a five that can make shots Um, at the four, he really just absolutely has to do it. He's not going to really survive as a four. If he's just like a face up, you know, 1998 type of big four that, that, you know, just gets buckets. That's like I mentioned at the beginning, really difficult to imagine that role being really valuable to a good team. Now, I feel like I might get lambasted by some Suns fans for pulling out this kind of comparison to Bagley, but do you feel like since he's so uber athletic and he was just dominating some competition, some guys that were just easily way, way less athletic than him. Do you feel like this is sort of a, a Michael Beasley sort of comparison here that, the guy's so athletic and such a freak athlete that even though he has all this potential in his system, it might just be a guy that flames on the next level just because he doesn't really have much outside of the athleticism himself. I think that's certainly a worry that you would have if you're a team that, you know, especially like the Suns hasn't shown themselves to really be the greatest place for big men to develop, especially on defense. You know what I mean? Um, 
I think that I like the the skill set from Bagley a little bit more. I think his quickness. I mean, the the thing you mentioned with the three point shooting is true, but I think that one thing that that allowed us to see from Bagley and from Carter uh, is when they had that shot and it was open. You kind of saw them have to make something out of nothing in a way where they were really supposed to be driving and making smart plays from the three-point line rather than just jacking shots. So I think you saw some interesting things from Bagley, more just that that face-up driving game. But, you know, that's a way to mitigate if you're not an above-average shooter, which, you know, like you said, with, with the free-throw shooting, we don't know for sure that he will be. He has the skills kind of to, to round out his game regardless of that, where I think you're going to see him be a pretty high floor as far as just productivity on offense. Uh, Whereas maybe you could say that about Beasley, but I feel like he has to work a lot harder to get those points than I think Bagley will. Now, also with Bagley, I've been trying to think of how he could be a a transcendent kind of guy, and I always struggle with that because you can also say the same thing to Jaron Jackson too, even though I think that's a little bit higher of a ceiling. But with Bagley, if you're thinking of him more like a Blake Griffin type, which I think is like his highest outcome possibility with because he's improving as a shooter himself in Detroit and L.A., but Griffin's not a guy who's the number one option on a team. He's not going to carry someone to a title. So do you feel like this is a guy that we have Devin Booker, they have Devin Booker in place in Phoenix. Do you feel like if they're looking for a second or third option that maybe Bagley's the guy who's not going to take too much of the shots and he'll just fit right into the system? Or do you feel like that's a risky guy taking a top five? He's not going to be like a truly transcendent number one guy. Yeah, I think that's the problem. I think, you know, that's why... It's 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 kind of tough to peg his value. Uh, I, I mean, I have him right at at what did I say? Wow, I already forgot six. So, kind of have him in that range because I think I trust that he can develop those secondary skills. But I mean, what kinds of things does a player like that do if he's like the third option on offense? He probably needs to be like we said before, a pretty good three point shooter. Probably needs to become a better passer than he currently is. Um, those skills we we just can't really know for sure right now um i I think that he showed enough to make me feel like he can develop into that kind of player but right now he he has the mold of a player who is going to be ideally the first option and um i I think that that comes down to position what what position can make him be valuable doing that and you know i i mean obviously team context is really important which i don't know how much we want to get into that but i think we've talked about plenty before that the Suns specifically, it might not be as good of a situation there because uh, they don't have the defensive protection for him. But, you know, that's that's ideally where he would kind of fit best as a team that can protect him a little bit, maybe like Memphis. Although, I don't know, if, if they get the second pick, I, I don't think they pick him either. So, you know, I don't really – I don't see an amazing fit for him. Yeah, I actually agree with you on that sentiment because he's a guy that's – a lot of cases he's going to have to fit into a role that I feel like isn't best for him. So he's going to have to really – I think he's going to be one of the guys that has an adjustment period. Maybe I'm in the minority there, but he, I think he's going to have a slight adjustment period like Josh Jackson did last well, year. Well, yeah, he'll, he'll probably like get points, right? But yeah. as far as like, you know, really providing value, I think he's – yeah, he's definitely going to have to change. For sure. I think he's going to have to really modernize his game too, like you mentioned earlier. He's going to have to be more of a perimeter shooter. He only shot at one point – one and a half times a game at Duke. So I think three is going to have to be a big thing in his game. But before – Yeah, I mean you use that Blake, that Blake Griffin comparison like – what did Blake have to do? I mean, early in his career, he was such an athletic freak and the league wasn't really out of place where they had the big wings that they were realizing were the best option for a guy like Blake Griffin to, to defend, like somebody like Kawhi Leonard or something. They didn't really use 
wings that way when he first came into the league. But as the league started to figure him out and his athleticism waned with injury, what did he do? Exactly what you just said. He became a three-point shooter or, you know, slowly but surely worked his shot out to the perimeter and then became an elite passer. And, and that's how he maintained it value all through his career and earned that massive contract last summer. Now, before we transition over to Triple J, I wanted to hit on your main points that, from a Suns perspective here, as far as a big negative, as far as Bagley and Phoenix, and a big positive as far as Bagley and Phoenix, if you wanted to do both sides of the fence for the audience. Yeah, I mean, I think a, a big negative is, like, you you hit it right on the head when you, when you asked earlier, like, you know, if defense is clearly the problem, there's lots of problems. I think defense and, and playmaking are probably the two biggest ones. And Bagley doesn't really solve either, but he definitely doesn't solve the defensive problems, which as a big man in the NBA, I think is has to be important. And so that's the negative is that you bring him in and, you know, taking maybe what could be the last really, really high pick this team has ideally is the last really, really high pick. And you take a player that doesn't solve the problem that you need to be solved in your front court. I think that's the negative. And the positive, I think, you know, just pure scoring it was a weakness for this team especially like we saw later in the season or when Devin Booker just didn't have it going on a certain night they really just fell apart um, and so you know like we said that was probably going to be somebody who scores early in his career especially if he's on a bad team so you know from that perspective he's gonna he's gonna kind of patch that hole a little bit although it might be like duct tape on a you know big huge gaping wound for sure, and I think with Bagley, comparing him to Triple J, I think his main, his positive takeaway for me is his untapped shooting potential like a Blake Griffin. If you're buying into Bagley, you have to buy into his shot. I think that's a big thing moving forward with him, especially once he wants to be a small ball five or even just a regular power forward in the future. But I think the main thing that cripples his stock is his defense and especially his defensive IQ. If he wants to be a five and, an, and a rim protector, he definitely didn't show that at all at Duke. And you're going to have to get him a guy like maybe a Steve Clifford type of guy or some, some defensive head coach that's going to really – make him buy into the system and I think that's a really big thing as far as how he develops moving into the future but transitioning over to Jaron Jackson Jr. here I think we both as we mentioned at the top of the podcast are favoring him at the moment as far as if the Sun dropped out of the top two and had to go three at number three or number four overall but looking at his advanced stats real quick I wanted to pull up some numbers that are really interesting with Triple J his rebound percentage was less than bad was at 15 percent but his block percentage was absolutely astounding at 14.3 percent which is higher than Mo Bamba's was his defensive box plus minus is above 10 at 10.3, and his total box plus minus is 15.4, and that's in the category of some super freak draft prospects in the, in the past, like Anthony Davis and Carl Anthony Towns. So do you feel like the, the Triple J hype trend's kind of gone off the rails over the last month or so as people have really moved him up in the top three almost unanimously? But do you feel like this is a guy that's almost a year younger than Marvin Bagley already? Do you feel like he's a guy that, give him three years, he might be a star in this league, even though right now it doesn't really show that? I think that's, you know, you talked about, like, if you're drafting Bagley, you're, you're believing in his shot and secondary offensive skills. I think if you're drafting Jackson, I think why we both have him higher is you're believing that he has superstar potential. Um, you know, it's not just, like, I think part of the weird way that people talk about Jackson, because he is, A, so incredibly enticing as a defender, but also because he has a little bit of that unicorn streak in him with the three-point shot. I think people talk about him as like a 3-and-D guy. That it's His offense could be a lot better. Part of the way that uh, Tom Izzo used him, I think, hampered his ability to be effective for Michigan State. 
But you have to think those weird face-up chances that he got like once every half probably help him in the long run. And he start to, started to see his passing come together late in the season. So that offense isn't as far away as I think a lot of people think. And I, I really feel like he has two-way superstar potential rather than just, you know, Rudy Gobert and, and you know, that kind of offensive question mark. Now, Bagley's usage rate at Duke was nearly at 27%. Jackson's was only at 235 And do you feel like if Jackson had a higher usage rate compared to a guy like an Aiden or a Bagley, do you feel like he'd have even a more higher percentage chance of having a bigger argument? I know a lot of people to step in, like Jackson Hole and Coles Wicker have already pulled the trigger on Triple J ahead of a guy like Aiden who's really masked defensively in his flaws. But do you feel like that's a guy that if he could have actually gotten a better opportunity maybe elsewhere instead of Michigan State, he could have been a guy that's really even ahead of a guy like Aiden on the boards? Yeah, I mean, I think they've had Jackson at the step in over Aiton since their first board. Um, I don't necessarily know if more offensive opportunity. I think more minutes total. Do you know what his his season high was in minutes, Jackson? Yeah, yeah one. I can pull up one second. I know. Well, he's, no, I know. I'm asking. I'm quizzing you. I'm, I'm trying to see if you can guess how low it was. Ooh, I think his overall was probably like 27 minutes, maybe. It was 31, but it was uh, it was early in the season in November, um, and he only did it once, I think. And I, I think that's the real problem is just playing more. I don't know. I, I feel sort of like his his role, if it had been bigger on offense, I don't really know what it would have been. I mean, he so his three point rate was 41 percent, meaning 41 percent of his total shot attempts were threes. I think that's right where it needs to be. Um, I, I would have liked to see him kind of running off of motion more. You see, like, Anthony Davis, for instance, will, will kind of set a screen and then flare out and catch a shot and, and pull up. I think some of that type of stuff just to kind of expand his range and, and be more valuable as a shooter would have been nice. But he struggled. I mean, he really – that's the big problem with his offense right now is he really does struggle to finish. And, you know – like traditional post moves that face-up game it's really just kind of put his head down and and ram into contact and and jump and and attempt a shot so he's not really rounded out there where i think like getting the ball more would have helped him so much now if you're looking for one negative on on triple j i'm looking at his per 100 possessions here and his fouls were a big problem he averaged eight fouls per 100 possessions per per 40 minutes i think it rounded out around five or excuse me around six fouls so do you feel like it's a lot like Marquis Chris. I've seen a lot of Marquis Chris comparisons thrown around for really, I don't know why, just probably just because the fouls are similar. But just to tell the audience, outside of the fouls, are Chris and Jackson really that much similar at all? I really don't think that they are. I think ja- or Chris's defense was always sort of a, a pipe dream in the first place. I think, you know, it was here's an athlete here's what he could. I mean, we, we kind of did it all season, right? Like if he could just become like an above average rim protector, that would help his development so much because he wouldn't be wandering around on defense anymore. And he would have a way to provide value that, that wishing is what it's always been. I think Jackson has shown what he can do to be a valuable defender. He can, he, he already is an above average rim protector, as you mentioned with that and cr- crazy block percentage. Um, and then, you know, he's fast enough and small enough where he can he can move around with, with ball handlers. I think he's going to be able to switch and protect the rim. Uh, his rotations are perfect pretty much for the most part um, 
when they're not, you know, because college offenses really aren't running anything incredibly complicated. He, he has the timing down almost perfectly already. Um, I, I just feel like the defense is so much further along. And as we've seen with Chris, where'd the offense go? Not really anywhere either. So even if Jackson's a really unpolished offensive player who does struggle to finish, that's not that far away from these athletic specimens we see come in every year. We know the defense is there. That's probably doubling the value of Jackson over somebody like that. Now, I, this popped in my head for a comparison with Jackson. I, this is actually the first time he's used this before, but do you feel like a Clint Capella or they're not really that close as far as that, but a Clint Capella or a Dwight Howard as far as the team strategy of just surrounding him with four shooters on the floor and just having him go to work down low because I feel like you could really anchor him as a defensive guy because he's, like you mentioned, he's fast enough and he's versatile enough to switch around and do a lot of things, two through five, I think. So do you feel like Jax is the perfect modern-day version of what GMs are looking for in centers? I think one way that I see him really stand out is as far as those elite defensive big man Howard Capella go right now is is he can blow up a pick and roll like those guys can um you I mean the, the really tough thing and you see you know Bagley Aiton some of these more offensive bigs struggle with it which is when a college offense finally decides to run a pick and roll um and NBA you know they're gonna have to defend that in the NBA constantly what Howard was so incredible at is he could defend the ball handler and the big at once. He, he could keep close enough to the ball handler who came down from the screen well enough to contest a shot and really deter the shot. People almost never tried to shoot over Howard when he was at his peak without, you know, sacrificing his ability to recover to the big and, and contest that shot, block those shots. Jackson can do that. Um, and that, especially if you're translating him to the NBA is, one of the main selling points I think on him and that's how he compares to those guys for me um, I mean I think like a better Zach Collins maybe is a uh, he's not really that great of a player right now but I think he has the potential to be something similar I feel better about Jackson's potential to reach that so I mean if anybody's been watching the Trailblazers series Collins did pretty well this week and so um, maybe that's a comp for me now, really in the pre-draft process, as far as like way back in preseason with the draft, I, I had a Bamba way up, Mohamed Bamba from Texas way high on my board, like number three, number four. And Jaron Jackson was way down near the low, low part of my top 10, around number nine or number 10 myself. And then all of a sudden he exploded on the scene of Michigan State because he was able to show, unlike Bamba, his versatility and a proven shot like Bamba was supposed to have, but it really never translated on the college level. So do you feel like for the audience, I feel like it was so weird to follow just because I think he just blew up all of a sudden. But do you feel like Triple J, compared to a prospect like Bamba, what stands out with him and why did he rise so fast on like a, a prospect like Bamba who just oozes potential with that length but really wasn't able to show much outside of his defense? I mean, I think to tell you the truth, part of it to me kind of seemed like – and I, I was the same way. I mean, I remember watching like a lot of the guys that I wasn't super familiar with, including Jackson – pre-season pre-college season in like September October just going back to their EYBL highlights or high school highlights trying to read up and see what each player kind of was and I remember I mean the thing with Jackson is like what in the world is this shot it's like Sean Marion and Michael Kidd Gilchrist together and it goes in and it was really weird to watch and try to project like is this real like is this guy really gonna be like a unicorn type of player. And then he went to Michigan State and he did that. At the very least, he did what he was supposed to do 
be an incredible defender, make open shots, and kind of mess around with some other offensive skills. If Bamba had just done that, considering how much of a better athletic and physical prospect he is, I think people would still have Bamba higher. It's just that he didn't really do any of that stuff, and Jackson did. For sure. And I think when you point, like you mentioned too, in your statement there with the three-point percentage, it's such just a, a weird thing to look at because he, he shot 39.6% on threes a season. He averaged almost three a game. So looking at the other big men in this class, maybe Wendell Carter is probably the most similar in this in this case. But is is Jaron Jackson like the next sort of – he's not Porzingis, so to say, but it seems like he's pretty darn close to the Porzingis type of guy where he could block a shot at the rim and then tr- he, he can be the perfect trailer that you set up for a, a, a three right in transition. Yeah, I think he has that base skill set. I mean, he doesn't have, like, the handle or, like, shooting off of motion, really, that Porzingis has right now. But, you know, Porzingis has been in the league for a while. Those were skills that kind of came later. And I think that that archetype is – I mean, that's what Porzingis was probably – I think I've seen that he was the first guy that was ever referred to as a unicorn. So, yeah, I mean, you're talking about that type of player for sure. And then with Jackson, I know there's a lot of negatives as far as him, too, if you're looking on the pro Bagley bandwagon. And one you could point to is also his lack of just uh, – maybe just me, but I didn't see him as far as, like, active hands that much as far as getting in passing lanes. I know that's really not a big thing as far as big men go, but do you feel like that's an area that he can improve on as far as getting his steal rates up? Because I know, like, not a lot of big men are, are in the steal categories that much, but – I feel like Jackson, because he's so fast and he's so versatile, he could easily be a guy that can average over a steal a game in, in the pros. Yeah, and I think if he's switching more, you probably see that stuff pick up a little bit. Not that he's going to be picking like Chris Paul's pocket or anything, but I think you know playing out on the perimeter, doing some more versatile stuff than he was at Michigan State will help with that. I think with you know how smart he is as a defender and how quickly he can move his feet, he's just going to beat guys to spots is really what it comes down to, guards and bigs. I think he's going to be somebody who's a step ahead on, at all times, and you know those guys tend to rack up steals. And then one more point on, on Jackson I want to bring before we go into our final takeaways with him, and that's, like I mentioned, his free throw percentage, and that's really interesting too at 80%. And as far as Aiton goes, I know he's talked about a lot as a guy whose shot's going to automatically translate to the pros, and Jackson does have a quirky motion, and I feel like that could be fixed pretty fast with a, a correct NBA skills coach. But do you feel like Jackson, outside of maybe Aiden himself, has probably the best probability of having that shot translate out of all the big men in this class? Maybe Wendell Carter to himself. Yeah, Carter is a whole other thing. His release is so wonky, too, with how slow his gather is. But, yeah, I'd say probably those two guys, probably above Aiden, honestly. Um I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to say that, but I feel pretty confidently that Jackson will, despite the weird release, it's not like a slow release and it's not so far down on his body that I feel like it's going to get blocked by, you know, the Anthony Davises of the world. I feel like it's, it's weird to watch, but I, I don't really necessarily think it's problematic. So, you know, that, that unicorn potential is closer to reality than, really anybody in the draft and that you know that's why i think we were, we're both so high on him for sure and to, just to recap i have him at number four overall on my board and so does so does brandon and i think we have bagley separated by one spot i have him at five he has him at six so as far as our final take was triple j i kind of realized with our conversation that it seems like triple j has a lot less like back breaking flaws to his game than bagley does is that fair to say 
Yeah, much, you know, weird to say for somebody who was kind of inconsistent and had a weird season, but much safer pick. I think you have a much better chance of getting a productive player out of him than Bagley. And one, I mean, from a negative standpoint and a positive standpoint for the audience, with like we do with Bagley, what's, if you're Ryan McDonough or Pat Conley, whoever in the Suns front office, and you're banging the tail for Triple J, what stands out to him as far as why you should be the pick if they fall out of the top two? I think that, you know, it's the versatility with him that it appeals if you're the Suns because it's going to be really tenuous, I think, to, to really make it work with him and Bender. But if you can make that work, wow. Like, you're, you're looking at probably the most versatile front court in the league um, as far as modern types of players go. Um, and and two shooters, you know, it's it's has the potential to be incredible from that standpoint. Um, negative, though, I think he's not the traditional guy you'd like to see. I mean, I think, you know, even Bombo or Wendell Carter probably are more traditional fits as far as what the Suns already have right now. So for me, it's really all about fit with, with him is, you know, if it, if it works, holy crap. If it doesn't, well, that kind of was probably expected, all things considered. Yeah, looking at his age again, he is the youngest player in this top part of the lottery, and that's really exciting from that perspective, too, because he just turned 18, and you have to wonder what he's going to look like when he's 25, which is a very exciting prospect if you're really in the Triple J bandwagon. But I actually agree with most of your points there as far as positives and negatives because he really doesn't have that much warts in his in his resume compared to a guy like Bagley, who really you have to buy in a lot as far as his shot translating and his defense. I like you really improving all of a sudden in a new system. But from really, really quickly, I want to touch on this from a Suns perspective, too, with the fits between both these guys. I know we touch a lot on Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris on this podcast, but if they were to take one of these guys, Jackson or Bagley, just have them drop out of the top two with the Suns in the lottery, do, which one do you feel like is pushed out in this situation? Or is it really really based on who they pick between Jackson or Bagley? I think I – I don't know. I operate most situations as if, if one of them's leaving, I'm, I'm keeping Bender. I don't really see – any player you draft or acquire in free agency, that would just change my perception of those two guys drastically. And I mean, I just feel like I don't know who Chris, what, who does Chris fit with? You know what I mean? I don't, I don't, there's not like a guy where it shores up all the concerns I have with Chris. So there is that potential with Bender where some of the things he struggles to do might be kind of a, a little easier to, to gloss over if you have a certain kind of big man. So um, I think, Bender is the guy for me. I mean, I think the, the other important thing, too, is like it's not just a matter of how they fit in the front court. They have to fit with Josh Jackson and Devin Booker, even more importantly. I mean, those guys are more important to the Suns' future for sure than than, Bag, than Bender or Chris are. And so I think Jackson, again, fills that void a little bit better, too, with, you know, kind of helping helping on defense and being that, that floor spacer. Now, both prospects, I imagine, if you're from the Suns perspective, you're shooting for the moon as far as potential with both. And with Bagley, I come back to with Jackson and Booker, if they were to form a big three with those guys, like a young big three, it would be like an Amari Stoudemire sort of comparison with me. As far as he'd just be a guy that runs the floor constantly in transition, Jackson and Booker continuously feed him, and he gets easy looks down low, helps out those guys on the perimeter. But with Jackson, he's probably a less sexier pick as far as offense goes, but he would just be the guy like Bamba who could have just easily stabilized the defense and allowed them just to... Booker and Jackson have to worry a lot less about if, if a guy blows by him that Jackson will be there instead of Chris or Bender wandering off in the perimeter. So do you feel like that's a similar sentiment with you as well, that if it's if they go badly, it's more about an offensive fit where they could be a, a really dynamic offensive trio 
And if they go Jackson, it's just sort of just helping stabilize the entire unit. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of the the difference between both guys in general, and that's why it's uh, it's going to be so interesting to kind of see where teams go with it because, uh, like I said at the at the beginning, there's not a lot of teams that have the the defense and you know just experience on in their front court to cover for Bagley. So I'll be really really interested to see which team pulls the trigger on him in general and. Uh, whether that's the Suns, if they kind of fall a little bit, or you know some other team, I, I'm, I'm I'm probably more interested to see what happens with him than Jackson because I feel so much more confident with Jackson. For sure, and I guess to wrap up today's podcast, Burn, did we miss on anything as far as Jackson or Bagley? You really wanted to touch on to them? No, I think uh, I think we we did a good job being fair about Bagley, and you know I think Suns fans are going to be excited about him regardless. And I've seen the same thing doing those mocks for fan sided every week. It's not just Suns fans, just because he went to Corona Del Sol, it has nothing to do with that. I don't think. I think it's just being really excited about an amazing college player. But that's you know, I hope we didn't like come off as like just crapping on Bagley because it's really hard to argue with a guy who was so incredible this year. But I think we, you know, we both kind of feel like the Suns are building towards something different than what Bagley is going to be best at. Yeah, it seems like as far as the modern vision goes, and just filling in the gaps in this current roster. We just feel both that Triple J does that more than Bagley. And I think that probably makes a lot more sense if they were to drop out of the top two because, sure, Bagley is going to be the guy that a lot of fans are going to want. But I think Jackson's probably the safest bet as far as translating immediately to the pros and having success there. So I appreciate you guys listening on today's podcast. We're going to probably have a lot more draft prospect debates moving forward into the draft season. We might even have another one here soon, probably in the next month or so. So appreciate you guys listening. And we're going to be back with you guys Monday for our regular schedule five days a week.